So in Latin America, uh, more than 60% of the population doesn't have access to formal bank services. They go to a loan shark or predatory lender and they will charge an APR of 2000%. Our purpose as Vanna is to provide quality and convenient loans for the underserved population in Latin America. 55% will use us for their business, for working capital. Customers will get a loan with Vanna, purchase their inventory, turn it around and pay back their loan in 30 days. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? So do join me and please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And do feel free to make contact and say hello. I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions. Send me an email or reach out to me on LinkedIn and I look forward to hearing from you. So today's episode is on financial inclusion. I'm speaking with Luis Marinelli, CFO and co-founder of Vanna, a fintech company from Guatemala in Central America. Vanna provides small loans to customers that have no formal access to the banking system. Vanna is one of many fintechs around the world that are leveraging technology to provide underserved communities with access to financial services for the first time. Today, Lewis will share with us how Vanna got started and survived COVID lockdown to successfully establish itself in Guatemala. The company has also recently launched in the Dominican Republic, its second market. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Lewis. Great to have you on the show. How are you today? Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me today. I'm very good. Happy to talk about fintech and LATAM. Perfect. Well, I'm absolutely looking forward to it. You're based in Guatemala, right? And as we've just been chatting, it's it's kind of unusually cool there at the moment. Yeah, correct. Here in Guatemala City, it's probably 11, 12 Celsius, so pretty cool here. Okay, let's uh, let's kick things off. It'd be great to start off with a bit about your background, um, just briefly, just before, you know, up to starting Varna, what, we, what was your career up to that point? Sure. So for the last 10 years, I've been working on the financial services industry in LATAM from businesses, including big banks, pawn shops, and ultimately fintech. And on these businesses, well, I, I played the roles of head of credit risk in the bank, finance director in the pawn shop, and uh, right now as a CFO and co-founder uh, on, on Vanna, which is a fintech in LATAM. Okay, perfect. So tell me about Vanna in a nutshell. What, what, what does Vanna do and, and who are your typical customers? And- sure. So our purpose as Vanna is to provide quality and convenient loans for the underserved population in Latin America. So in Latin America, more than 60% of the population doesn't have access to formal bank services. So this is where we come to play. We started with our core product, which is a 30-day loan, which can be obtained with our mobile app in Android. It's a very easy five-minute application, and you get approved, you get the, the money immediately. 
you can disperse it in mom and pop shops and supermarkets. And you also can disperse it if you have a bank account via uh, ASH. Okay, great. So what are the typical or common uses of, of your loans? Give me some color to your typical customer and what their needs are and, and what they're using their loans for. Yeah, so we have two big use cases. The first, which I'll, which I'll say it's about 45% of the, of the, of the cases is to fund emergencies, like little, little emergencies that our customers have during the month that cannot cover with their salary. They use us for that. They had an accident or they had to purchase a medicine in the ph pharmacy. They use us for that quick loan to, to cover that expense. And the other half or 55% will use us for their business, for working capital. So we also have a customer that will get a loan with Bana, purchase their inventory, turn it around and pay back their loan in 30 days. And so when did Vana start? How long have you been operating for? We've been operating for more than four years. We started in May, 2018. So yeah, it's been more than probably four and a half years now. And are you operating in Guatemala? What about other markets? Are you present in other Latin markets? Yeah, so we are operating in Guatemala and almost five months ago, we started operations in Dominican Republic. And so what, what is impact, what impact is Varna making on, on the lives of your customers? I presume it's quite, quite a transformative access to capital for them. I mean, do you have any examples of how it's transformed lives possibly? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, more than 60% of the population doesn't have access to formal bank services. So they have to cover their financial needs in other places, usually in the street where they go to a loan shark or predatory lender and they will charge an APR of 2000%. So pretty high APR, they also pawn shops and, and, and other type of alternatives. If people go to these loan sharks, they, they will get threats and in some cases violence if they cannot make their payments on time. So it's not a very safe alternative. With Bana, you can get a convenient loan in the couch, uh, in your living room in a process that it's a hundred percent digital. So it's a game changer solution for our customers. And are you experienced, I mean, what's the kind of demographic profile of your customers? Are there, are they mainly young or, or all ages and perhaps men or women? What's the, how would you characterize that breakdown in your customer set? Yeah, we, we usually see a 50% man, 50% woman. So it's a very even distribution. And also we also see that most of our, our customers are between 25 and 35 years. We are open to, to everyone, but that's the main characteristics we are, we are looking. Okay. So going back to the, the, the beginning of Varna and when you were planning and setting it up, what was the sort of inspiration to start Varna? I believe you saw some similar com companies in other markets around the world doing something similar. Can you perhaps just explain a bit more about that inspiration? Sure. So we saw what Tala was doing in Kenya, 
and also what other players such as Creditas were doing in Brazil and Latam. So we figured out, well, this is a proven business model and the markets are very similar to Guatemala in terms of mobile penetration and in terms of unbanked population. Also, these are markets with a huge need for innovation. So looking at these companies was kind of the inspiration to, to start doing a small test in Guatemala. That's how we started. We got a very good initial feedback. And as we learned more from our customers and their needs, we kept modifying the product until we created something very cool, in my opinion, for our customers. So, okay, since you launched in 2018, tell me a bit more about how, how Alvana's grown and evolved over, over time. What's the, what's the journey been from transitioning from startup idea to, you know, the commercial business that, that it is today? Sure. So, yeah, in mid-2018, we started, as I mentioned, uh, as a small experiment. Tito, who is the CEO, and Santi, who is the CMO, they created that, like a quick landing page and a WhatsApp number. And the next morning they had hundreds of messages from people requesting a loan. So that's where we figure out, well, there's a, there's really a need and, and, and demand for this. Then we, we spent the rest of the year in 2018 gathering data since we didn't have any underwriting model or, 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 or rules. 2019, we raised a small friends and family round. We invested that money in creating a more robust infrastructure and a better UX UI. And we also started gaining some traction in, in the disbursement of, of the loans. By late 2019, we had positive unit economics and we were in conversations with the bank in Mexico to raise our seed round. Then in 2020, the plan was to start growing our portfolio. And that's when COVID hit the world and the business. We could materialize the round with the bank in, Me in the bank in Mexico. So we halted new customer loan disbursements to conserve our runway. In 2020, we did some pay cuts to founders and key members of the team. We compensated them with uh, ESOP. And in mid-June, we started seeing some recovery and we started with small growth in new customers again. In late 2020, we finally raised our seed round with private investors. And 2021 was a great year in terms of growth and profitability. Our focus in 2022 has been in making sure we set the foundations, very solid foundations for growth, not only in other markets as we are doing right now in the Dominican Republic, but setting the foundations to grow within other products and expand our portfolio. So very that's, good. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. I mean, obviously the whole COVID situation must've been very difficult and destabilizing for you, but have you managed to find a way through? And did you feel now that things have stabilized and you're obviously got that foundation for the further growth? Yeah. Yeah. We're very past all this COVID experience and, and, and right now we are much stronger. We have better controls and, 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 and better learnings as we know right now which levers to pull in case we need to slow down, in case we need to start growing. Tell me, to what extent is uh, technology, how important is technology and data science and all those underwriting models that you mentioned to, to Varna's success story? Yeah, so I would say technology is the backbone of the business. Without technology, we couldn't 
deliver fast and efficient customer experience to our customers. So facing our customers, the technology is very important, especially when you're trying to do an underwriting process under five minutes. We have to make sure every step of the process is automated and the small parts that are still manual, make sure we have the, the correct people and processes to attack them efficiently. Also, data science and, 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 and all the data departments key in the business model of BANA, not only to automate the process, but also to understand what type of medicine and, and segments make sense for us to, to, to make business with. Awesome. So I think in the ten, fintech landscape, one of the well, sort of well-documented challenges of credit-based startups you know, is managing that credit quality and receivables management, especially when you're perhaps under pressure to show signs of growth and there's a temptation sometimes just to push the money out the door and you know show that that, that growth profile. I mean, as a CFO, how do you how, how have you gone about managing credit quality and the receivables? And you know, what's the right balance between achieving growth and those those growth targets and and maintaining credit quality? Yeah, that's that's a great question. We have, I would say, three main lines of attack to ensure a healthy underwriting and a healthy collection process. So the first pillar is our ladder system. How it works is if you are a new customer, you can only receive $25. That's your first loan. And as you repay your loans with us, uh, you show a good use of, the, of, of, of your loan. You can grow in that ladder to a maximum amount of $250. So this helps the business to keep, to, to limit the exposure, new customers where we see most of the fraud and the default. The second pillar is the underwriting model. We use machine learning. We leverage from some of the data from our customers to predict the capacity and the willingness to pay from our potential customer. So this filters a lot of the bad actors trying to gain the system. We constant, we are constantly recalibrating the model according to the risk, uh, our management and the board feel comfortable at, at the moment. So that's a key piece of the, of the, of the puzzle. We usually try to focus on unit economics, even if it means sacrificing customer acquisition costs and some of the growth in the short term. And finally, our third pillar is our collection department. We have a very robust team with high tech and, and, and high quality tools to ensure a healthy and, 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 and yeah, sustainable collection process around the portfolio. Interesting. And so, so you mentioned that some of the bad debt really is on those first time customers. Is that right? Perhaps you just go into that a bit more detail. Sure. So if you are a first time customer, we have limited data about, about you. We, we also make sure we, we, we basically make sure we are not trying to game the system by trying to just take the loan and, and, and your pay, but we also analyze other variables such as willingness and, and, and repayment capacity. But that's, that's where I guess that this, this second analysis is the one that it's a bit limited in first time customers, because we don't have that experience with you. We don't have that, that relationship until, until that moment. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so that's on the customer side. On the on the on the other side of the business, I believe you have credit lines set up with with the banks. Is that correct? Is that how you fund your your loans through those? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, how do you manage against rising interest rates and perhaps you know a lack of availability of that credit or more expensive credit coming in? Is that do you consider that to be a bit of a key risk for your business, or how do you manage that? Yeah. So we have a strong focus on on, on maintaining our relationship with banks. So these four and a half years, our main focus is to build credibility with them and, and, and make them feel confident about our business model. So that's, that's been a, a, the main pillar of, of our strategy with, with the banks. So in that sense, first of all, we build the credibility, make sure our financials are audited from a big four firm. We also invest heavily in anti-money laundering compliance and fraud controls. So this also gives a lot of confidence to the banks. We also show them we are responsibly responsible with the credit. Uh, we use them for what they are intended to, and we constantly communicate with them. We constantly gave, give them updates about the business, where we are going, and we keep them informed about the, the, the important things that happen in the business. So I think that building the credibility and Constant communication with them has uh, helped us build a stronger relationship with them. As of your second question about raising interest rates, so most of the credit lines comes from banks in Guatemala. Banks in Guatemala are very healthy. They are mainly funded by their customer deposits in, in local currency. And they have limited exposure to credit lines with banks in the US and, and Europe. So I'm not seeing a huge impact in, in the credit lines or, or, or interest rates in the midterm and, and, and also in the short term uh, because of this, because their, their funding structure is very healthy, very local. So that's also a, a benefit for us. Yeah, that's really interesting. Just then, on the banks, do they represent a, like some form of competition to you? I mean, I think we talked about earlier on about the alternatives for your customers, which are, you know, more informal channels. But do the banks represent an alternative for them? And also, are there? Do you see any other competition? Other startups? What's the kind of competitive landscape like for you? Yeah, so I wouldn't say banks compete directly with us. We are addressing the bottom part of the of the pyramid, which is all the, the bank population. So this is a segment that banks are not even looking for it, it, right now. And I think in the mid or long term, so I wouldn't say we, we are competing directly with them. We do compete with the loan sharks in the street, with pawn shops, with micro credit associations, which are very traditional, very offline brick and mortar. So that's who we are competing with at this moment. So right now we are the only digital solution to, to, to this segment, at least here in Guatemala and in Dominican Republic. We know that there are others, there are other digital lenders in Central America, potentially trying to enter Guatemala in 2023 or 2024. But right now our focus has been trying to understand our customers closely, trying to understand their, their pain points and serve them in the best way we can. Interesting. And so in terms of um, customer acquisition, you mentioned earlier, creating demand for your product, 
you know, what, what are the approaches you've taken? Do you, do you sell directly or do you go through partner channels? And what role does sort of just kind of product-led approach of virality and word of mouth really play in, in spreading the word of, of, of Varnerys? Yeah, so since our business model is B2C, our main acquisition channels had been digital. Digital acquisition, social media, Google Ads, etc. So that has been our, our, our main acquisition channel, try to focus the, the ads on the benefits of the product, on the people, on how Vana is helping other people with similar characteristics. So that has been one of our main channels. We also have the organic channel, which is basically our customers referring friends and family to, 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 to our business. That's another strong acquisition channel for us. So that's kind of the, the two main acquisitions channel. That Tell me a bit more about your internal organization, if you can. As a CFO, how have you gone about building your team and organizing your 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 kind of the finance department? Sure. So uh, until mid-2021, I was the only person in the finance department. So that gave me the full picture of what were the department needs, the company needs, and what needed to be done. My first hire was my finance manager, who is my right hand today. I spent a lot of time making sure he, she had everything she needed before delegating important tasks, such as treasury and accounting. I also made sure to be clear on the expectations and quality of the work. She understood it correctly, and, and she now helps me distribute this to the team. Now we are a finance team of about eight persons, which in which we process accounting, taxes, treasury, PNA, business intelligence, and compliance. So it's a small team for a lot of attributions, but that's how we like to to keep it small and efficient. You mentioned in our prep call that you know there's a strong ethos of collaboration between teams, and I think you particularly pointed to the the business analytics and business intelligence team and how you collaborate with, with them. Can you just expand on that point? Sure. So our approach to the business intelligence department is to be a decentralized department or semi-decentralized department in which we, in which the analysts are constantly talking to the other departments and, and, and business leaders to understand what are their main, main business questions and pain points. So for example, our business intelligence analyst will go and sit down with the marketing department and, and understand what are their most pressing questions. So marketing department, let's say, I don't understand why customers are churning on this stage of, of, the, of the funnel. So that's where our, our analyst starts taking notes, starts building his, his framework. And then goes back to look at the data and, and start and, and, and try to answer to, to those questions. We also make sure to, once we, we have a clear hypothesis and, and a clear answer to, to those questions, like to give very actionable insights and, and next steps. So yeah, the, the business intelligence department is very collaborative in that way. Just on the unit economics and, and maintaining healthy, positive unit economics, I think that's your your, your principle, what was included in your unit economic, you can unit economics calculation, just at a, at a high level, what do you include? I mean, do you look at lifetime value or, or? Yeah. So before looking into lifetime value, I always like to look at the business in one single transaction. 
like let's let's say how does one single transaction looks like in a scenario with a customer repaying a hundred percent of of their debt. So I will look at trades, amounts, default, customer acquisition, then make another scenario and un understand what happens if the customer defaults, how these four or five variables are impacted and, uh, and, and, and what levers we can start pulling to make sure we raise the prof profitability in the, in the unit economics. So I like to start with the very basics of, of the unit economics, try to understand the very simplified version of the business. And once we have that well understood, start building into other metrics such as lifetime value, CAC ratios, retention rates, and, and, and all of that metrics that are useful for the business. And in terms of KPIs or metrics, what, what, what metrics do you tend to use or for as an indicator of, of growth, the, the growth of the business? What are you looking at typically? Yeah. So, so we try to focus like two big metrics. The first one is a growth metric, which is very simple, which is simply how many loans are we disbursing in a month? Since our main product is a 30 day loan, it makes sense to measure this metric and, and, and start measuring this metric, like big metric to ensure we're growing. And the second metric is the default rate. Make sure we have a very controlled default. And even, even if we are growing at a high rate, make sure that the default is very controlled. So that's the two main metrics, which all the company knows and all the company is constantly looking at. Then we have more specific department metrics where we see, for example, in marketing, we see the, the, the retention rates, the LTV, all of those metrics, average ticket size, net dollar retention, but those are most, mostly specific metrics for, for each department. I think coming to the end uh, of the podcast, a couple of final questions just on the um, longer term picture for Varna. You know, what, what's, what are the, what's the plan over the next three to five years? What can we expect? How will the business continue to develop? Yeah. So uh, in the midterm, what we are going to do is replicate the business model, the, the, the current business model in other markets where we see that, that, that have similarities to Guatemala and, and Dominican Republic. Once we set those markets correctly, start building new products for our current customers. So that's, that's basically, that's basically it just in the, in the short term, start expanding into new markets and midterm start building products for, for our current customers and try to get new segments and, and explore other, other ways of making better financial services for this segment of the population. And can you, do you anticipate going further up the pyramid as, as you described earlier? Yeah, right now we, I wouldn't anticipate escalating in, in the pyramid. I would try to focus this, this on bank market, which is huge. We have a lot to do here, but who knows in five years or, or more, we can expand our business to, to another segment. And one final question around regulatory licenses. Can you just tell us a bit more about the licenses you have or, or may not have? What's the regulatory yeah. environment like? Yeah. So in Guatemala and Dominican Republic, we don't need like a special licenses, a special license for, for lending. There's no 
there's not really a restriction on that, but in other Latin countries, there are. So we are right now doing our research as how do if we start going to, into these new markets, how, how, how our business model will fit with those licenses and, and how the business model will look like. Fantastic. So what's the best way of listeners to contact you? How, how can they reach out to you? Sure. They can reach me out on Twitter as Luis Marinelli and also in LinkedIn as Luis Marinelli as well. And the website address is? It's Anna GT. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Luis. It's been really fascinating listening to the, the story of Ivana and I really wish you all the best for the, for the future and, and a continued growth of the company going forwards. Thank you, Marty. Take care. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To enjoy more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. look forward to hearing from you and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>